Suicide is a symptom of hopelessness. Aaron Bergen from Suicide Sucks joins us to talk about his brand, Suicide Sucks, which is geared toward rocker teens and the need for messaging designed for the audience. He is taking the communication side of suicide support head-on using prescriptive analytics, demographic-appropriate branding, and sharing the importance of intentional connection. His nonprofit is doing a lot of good. Please reach out and lend your support. Enjoy. Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Nider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. So I'm excited to kind of hear what this journey has been like for you, um, Aaron, and and why why you picked why you picked suicide prevention or you know suicide awareness. Um, maybe that would be an important question to to ask: is how did you get into this? Well, <laughs> um, so I was serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ in Washington. I started getting emails from my little brother who's 15 months younger than me. Um, he had joined the military and had left, and um, I didn't really see him much, but by the time I, I left out on my mission, and I started getting these emails from him, which I was so excited about. I, each week I'd come, you know, just so excited to get to my computer to hear from my brother. And uh, he started saying some things that, uh, you know, Back in the day, there was things that happened to us. You walked away, but I got stuck. And, you know, I, I started thinking, I hope he's okay. That's, and that's the extent of my thoughts. So I hope he's okay. Um, and it wasn't long after, and I found, I found out that he had taken his life. And I felt so surprised and so shocked at, at the, this whole experience and not being home for the whole experience was just really, really difficult. Um, and it took a few years of just trying to really empathize with him. I, I had to get into his mindset and just think through all the memories I had had with him growing up, like where the paths could have deviated. Because suicide's never crossed my mind. It's never been a challenge. Um, but our parents did go through a divorce, and our family didn't always have the greatest you know, experiences, and we didn't do a, a very good job of taking care of each other. And... And then all that weight just felt like it was just always on my shoulders. And so for me to go figure out where he was was important. So I started Googling, how do I kill myself? And Google's responses were, well, you could shoot yourself. You could cut yourself. You could jump off a bridge. There's all these articles teaching me how to die, teaching me how to do it faster or slower, more painful or less painful. And it was just disgusting, honestly. Um, and I was, at the time, I was just angry about that, right? It's 2015, targeting products were already following you around the internet everywhere you go. And the marketing technology that wasn't being applied was just disgusting to me. 
Um, and so I looked around and I tried to find a nonprofit that was applying marketing technologies to find people that are asking for help as they type in their suicide message. And there was no one doing it. So I decided to start the nonprofit and uh, I eventually left my career, like I mentioned, left my production career, management career and to go start the nonprofit, went full time for six months, attended the state prevention meetings, the county prevention meetings, just got as deep as I could into what prevention was. And what I saw was what you mentioned, people in the profession are, are vested, they're in, invested and they're interested in preventing it. But the thing that's happening is that people are being surprised by their loved one killing themselves and they're not being aware of what's going on. So there was a disconnect. Um, so ultimately I started, you know, postulating what does technology look like in 10 or 15 years and, and what will that do for our prevention efforts? And I, you know, ultimately it came down to well, machine learning and data will actually tell us so much. Uh, there was a, a couple of professors out of Florida and Vanderbilt that actually created an algorithm based off of clinical questions, standard questions a doctor would ask um, to 5,000 patients. And they predicted based off of those questions, a 93% accuracy, who is gonna attempt to kill themselves in the next seven days, right? And that's a pretty short window of time but that's a ton more time than most people get, right? Um, and then they actually had an additional study that said within two years, we can predict that within 84 or 83% accuracy. And so I thought, you know, if we can get that accurate from just clinical data, what if we had all of everyone's online data? What if we, all the data that they're being tracked anyways for marketing, what if that was actually applied to prevention in a way that we could actually find people before they died? Right. So long story short, I thought, you know what, that's out of my league to go build an algorithm. Guaranteed Google and Facebook will come out with something here soon. Took six months. Facebook hired 3000 suicide prevention and detection employees. 3000 is so many. Um, but there was at the time there was 10 suicides broadcasted live. Right. I don't know if you remember those, those stories, but live features had just come out and there was at least 10 across YouTube, MySpace, Facebook that had killed themselves on camera for millions of people to watch. Um, and so, you know, for me, it was like, they're going to build the technology, but once they do what, that, what then, you know, the next level of, of analytics is first you can have descriptive analytics, describe what's happened in the past. Then you can have, um, a predictive analytics based on what's happened in the past we predict this is going to happen. And then after that, you can actually have a prescriptive, right? So if, if somebody is going to actually attempt to hurt themselves, can I prescribe them a message that actually helps them feel differently, think differently. And it was first publicly used in Obama's presidential campaign. And that's actually what they credited his victory to was using prescriptive analytics, find the right message for the right people. And you convince those people that, you know, that life is worth living in our case. So I went and got a master's degree in communications so that I could figure out what are the different communication strategies? What are the ways we could reach out to people and use marketing technologies to then go find someone that's struggling and then use the right message. And that's where we are today. Really. Um, we got to figure that out. And 
all the organizations, whether you're in therapy or you're in addiction recovery, every one of us should have some sort of inbound process. And that should include using messages to reach people that are struggling, to bring them in, to give them that community and that support. Whoa, that's pretty powerful stuff that you're talking about. I mean, my head's going a million miles an hour thinking, you know, they're talking about doing artificial intelligence as therapists to kind of hold a space for a therapist um, because right now they're all overworked. And so it would be really interesting to be able to target somebody that that evidence shows they are thinking about suicide and even open up a artificial intelligence for them to talk to, you know, it, it kind of distances them because so often they want to isolate and they want to be away, but you know, they're willing to type to a computer, they're willing to engage in other ways. So that's pretty powerful. And when you talk about um, this algorithm that was, did you say 93% successful in, in predicting somebody's desire to, att to attempt to take their own life? Yeah, yeah. so, so 93% accurate in predicting the self-harm attempt. That's incredible. I mean, most most research is after 40 or 50 percent accuracy. 93 percent accuracy is huge. That's ginormous. So when we can, I mean, definitely we have to do something with that kind of information. Yeah, and that's that was five or six years ago, uh, and and what they've done since then has has just really been incredible. Uh, May of 2020, there was an article posted that there was a group that just wanted to scrape. Twitter feeds, and they actually took 35,000 tweets, and they, you know, were able to successfully teach an algorithm what suicide looks like on Twitter, right? And imagine if you had the power of Google, all the searches, all of the clicks, all of the views, all the behaviors, and then you have the power of Facebook and the comments, the likes, the music they're listening to. Imagine compiling that data to, to give them give us an idea, right? We don't know necessarily what are the inputs that lead to suicide, but if you had all the data, then you can start to figure that out. And the machines, the, 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 the algorithms get smarter and smarter, you know, and giving us more time. And what it always comes back down to though, is what are your connections? Who are your support? You know, who's your, or do you have family that's there to help you? Um, and is someone there that can guide you through this process? Because ultimately if, if you're in that the state of mind where suicide is the only and best option for you, there isn't a lot that's going to convince you otherwise, right? So hopefully we can get messages in front of them that are inspiring, that are relevant. You know, I've always thought, you know, I would never want to give a firefighter that's 30 years in the business seeing the, the gory and, the, and, the, and just the trauma that they go through. I would never want to show them a video of a, you know, a teenage girl who has overcome being abused or raped, right? That's not relevant. And it would be, it would be a, kind of an icky feeling, right? To, to, to mismatch that message to that audience. So it's pretty critical that you get the message to the person correct. Well, and what you said is true. You know, I talk about AI and connecting and, and my first thought is just, how do we start to get them to talk? But what you said is really important. And, and probably one of the most vital pieces of information because they need connection. They need to know somebody cares and that their life matters because the truth is, if we wanna talk about the way the brain works, right, is their prefrontal cortex, that part of the reasoning, rational, 
executive part of their brain is offline. They are not in a good state, like you said, to be able to think and to make good decisions. Their only way out of pain is to end their life. And so thinking of ways that we can engage with them to help to shift that, to help regulate some of that um, distress that they're feeling is going to be really important part of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the stats today are pretty astounding in, in adolescence, you know, as we're really where a lot of my focus and research has been, you know, they're saying 12 to 15 hours a day are being spent online. And if we are not creating strategies amidst that, those, you know, with the 12 to 15 hours, whether it's Snapchat or Facebook, or I don't know, kids use Facebook anymore, TikTok probably, you know, if we're not creating those types of content strategies, we're not going to get their attention. Right. And so if you're if you're a brand today that is interested in serving this audience, you've got to find those people that stand out as hopeful or as that have overcome their unique challenges and share their stories on these platforms so that those kids that are stuck scrolling have that right spot every now and then as they're scrolling through their screen. And I think that's one of our most critical and, and best opportunities today is insert positive, hopeful content amidst all of this strictly entertaining or strictly, you know, negative material. Oh, that's a little incredible to me that to think of a teenager sitting in front of a computer for 10 or 12 hours a day, which I know they're doing it, but it blows my mind. Right. Well, yeah, it's right. It's on their phone. (laughs) And I look at my phone and go, I cannot read you. I need a computer screen. (laughs) The generations are definitely, there's a gap. There's a little bit of a gap. But but to think that that's how much time they're spending in front of a screen and and our solutions are, are still, when we look at technology as a solution, the real solution is we need to connect with people, right? We need to get out. We need to move. We need to exercise. Oh, you know, and COVID has just amplified that a hundredfold. I'm wondering, Aaron, have you seen? Have you seen, or do you have data on the shift pre-COVID to COVID and how that's affected people's, um, you know, suicide levels? Yeah, um, I don't have any data to reference. Uh, just the research I've done. Obviously, there's way, way more cases of anxiety, depression. The isolation is just obviously done, wrecked a lot of havoc and people have stayed inside way more, right? So all across all ages, right? And so you're talking about the, the working class, the, the adolescents that are figuring out how to survive a social scene behind masks. And, you know, the whole, the whole world has been turned upside down in terms of our mental health. So it just comes back to being that much more critical to what you've said. How do we, how do we create experiences? But more importantly, for people that are willing to create social and connection, socially connecting experiences and, and generally are more extroverted, if they don't have the opportunity, introverts aren't going to do it, you know? And so introverts are often the ones being taken care of because somebody else is reaching out and saying hello first, right? Um, and if that never, that opportunity never comes, then both of them are suffering, right? The, the extrovert doesn't get there. I need to get out. I need to say hello. And the introvert doesn't get someone to notice them and actually appreciate them as, you know, as the, the unique individual that they are, right? So we need each other. Um, 
but we're going to have to figure out different ways to to incentivize and motivate each other to, to go out and make it happen. Uh, there's a couple of things that I've been doing with work um, and outside of work is just scheduling Zoom calls or scheduling a, a Google Meet or a, um, with with friends, with strangers, you know, and just having a 15 or 30 minute conversation. And honestly, every time I go and have that conversation with somebody else, I feel lighter, I feel lifted, I feel connected and my mental health improves, right? But, and all it took was, hey, you want to chat for a few minutes? Let's just book a call, you know? Uh, but that's not something we as professionals think to do. It's not something we would think, hey, maybe my teammate could use a quick 15-minute call. But if we were to do it, it would sure make a lot of difference. Hmm. Wow. <clears throat> I, I know the idea of getting on a Zoom call is it has a little bit of a distaste in my mouth for connecting. But if that's the only avenue that we have is to to get on and, and see somebody face to face and talk to somebody that we care about or that we know cares about us, um, then it does. It makes a huge difference. It's not the same as meeting face to face, but it certainly is an in-between while we, you know, while we can't meet in groups and while we can't get out there and while we can't be as active as we'd really like to be. So I love that. I love that approach. And also I hear you say something about, a, you know, I hear sort of this responsibility you know, for me, as having, you know, having people that I work with, I might have a little bit of a responsibility to pay attention to people's moods, to pay attention to some of the things they're saying or how they're doing and check in with them. Um, and that, that might be a new thought to people out there in the workforce right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think everyone starts with that level of selfless concern, right? Um, I think I have an advantage where I've already lost my brother and my heart literally just like gets crushed every time I hear somebody else's story. Um, there was one this weekend, someone losing their hands to suicide and, and it just makes you so aware that everyone has their own story. Everyone has their own struggle. And if you're not going to be the one that reaches out with any sort of caring or empathy or, you know, mercy while they're, angry or frustrated or short or snappy, if you're not patient with that and can still build a relationship through that, then who will, you know? And, and ultimately I feel like any, anyone that has any level of concern, we do have a level of responsibility and duty to, to help people feel that connection and feel like they have a safe place in us. That's what we in mind, I think is doing a really good job. And, and Nick Staggy and, and that, that group of, they're just pushing forward this, this community and this culture of it's okay to be not okay and it's okay to share your story we're going to actually rally around you and we're going to lift you up and we're going to strengthen each other um and that's that's something to celebrate and that's something for sure that we need more of oh so much more of because the i think the stigma and the you know the negative stigma around you know being depressed or having those depressive symptoms or feeling you know, feeling suicidal or having suicidal thoughts. Um, it has such a negative stigma and it, it, uh, it really keeps people in shame and, and not reaching out. So organizations that really address that very first piece of it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to feel that way. Plenty of other people feel that way. Let's get together and support each other. I love that idea. I think that's super powerful. Yeah, there's some cool apps right now that are coming out, you know, that help 
create events that are kind of spontaneous and whatnot. But I think as far as some of the technologies that are coming out are really cool. Um, one of the one of the articles that recently came out with a pres prescriptive analytics mechanism. Basically, they were they were saying there's so many layers to your mental health. There's so many different diagno diagnoses that you could get. But we usually kind of lump those together and then give them this lump sum response, right? So um, really, the, the people over at Spring Health is the, is the uh, benefits company that are, that are taking this effort to go create a, a machine learning algorithm that takes in your, a questionnaire or takes a blood test or it gives you multiple inbound diagnoses, right? And then out of 200 different, different uh, diagnoses that you could potentially have, what's your makeup, right? What are the significant difficulties you're facing? And then we're gonna pair that up with 200 treatments, right? And we're gonna make sure that the right treatment to the right issue is being taken care of, right? Um, and that goes back to feeling connected and feeling like the, the person you're expressing your vulnerabilities to is not only compassionate and, and empathetic, but is also relevant in what they have to say in return. Well, that is such an important concept. And, and although we talk about it in, in recovery and in treatment all the time, right? We talk about it all the time, but the, the reality of matching a recovery program with an individual and making it unique to that individual is a whole lot more challenging on the face-to-face, one-on-one, um, you know, when you're in a program with other people, then maybe what we what we really say that it is, right? Was we want to make these unique programs. We want it to be specific to them. Um, and I think a lot of them are, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of programs have very specific treatment goals to each person. I think where we lack is the documentation is not supporting it, right? What they put down on paper does not send the message that this is a unique program for this person in this situation. And, and your example of a firefighter versus, you know, a young girl overcoming trauma, you know, there's a wide variety of people and experiences out there. And I think you're absolutely right. We have to address those specific needs and the goals, right? Someone's goal might just be, I want to be able to sit at home all day long and play games without feeling anxious. And that might be their goal, and we can't we can't put our expectations on top of them. And somebody else's goal might be, you know, to be the governor of a state, or you know, something that we might consider as fairly, you know, run a company or something fairly, you know, that 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 takes a lot of more energy. Um, and and being very specific as to what is your goal, what do you want, and fit those to it. Um, I'm curious. There's a lot of people out there, and I suspect a lot of our listeners, um, Aaron. You, you know, they've kind of, you've got their attention. Where would they go to, I know you talked about um, We Are Mind, does a really good job talking about it. Where are other resources if they want to get a hold of you or if they want to get a hold of other resources that can help them or a loved one? What would you recommend? Um, you know, candidly, I haven't done as good a job as I would have liked to this whole time of pulling those resources and creating that as a good landing landing page, right? Um, but ultimately, I think there are some really good resources with the AFSP.org, the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention, uh, the Trevor Project, uh, ultimately the VA, right? There's there's a number of non veteran-based nonprofits. Uh, 
I, I don't think there's one good resource other than Google to figure out your audience and your need. Um, Suicide Sucks mission really is pushing this, 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 this potential capability that we have if we just connect the dots the right way. And um, I, I haven't ever focused on being the resource, but I focused on really spreading the message that technology with empathetic and compassionate communication will have the power to prevent suicide if we as organizations go about it the right way. So I'm happy to chat with anybody too directly. Um, and maybe we could post an email or something after this, but Aaron at suicidesucks.com is the easiest way to reach out to me. I love that. And, and I think it would be you know important also to mention that there is a talk line for people who want more information, whether you're having you know suicidal thoughts or if you're a family member concerned about somebody, I think it's important to mention this line that they have people that will answer your phone calls and answer your questions and help bring you to resources too. And that number um, is 800-273-8255. And that's a number that I try and keep um, handy at all times when someone's really suffering and, and struggling. And, and I'll even get on the phone with somebody sometimes and just say, Let, let's just talk to somebody. Let's just talk to somebody that can maybe, you know, give us some thoughts or some direction that's going to help improve this situation. And um, so anyway, I think that's a fantastic number to know as well. And yeah, I think I think with that, um, I hear from a lot of moms and a lot of parents, a lot of dads that that are dealing with a manic depressant or bipolar or or they're dealing with a child um, or, or someone that they love, frankly that is going through a mental health crisis, right? And they're asking me, what do I do, right? And my best response to that is, if I could turn back time, I would have moved more mountains. I would have done more. And my only message to, to parents is, don't be on my side of the fence, looking back with regret everything you can right take it serious if someone is mentioning i'd rather i'd be better off dead or i'd prefer not to be here anymore or if they're giving any signs or indications that suicide is a potential have the conversation don't be afraid to ask are you suicidal are you thinking about suicide do you have a way to kill yourself do you have a plan when are you thinking about doing that get into the details because if they're thinking about it and they've actually planned it you know you could be within 24 hours of losing your your son or daughter and you don't, you don't want to be on this side of the fence looking back, thinking, I should have, I could have, and the worst one, I would have, right? If you would have, then do it now. That's, that's powerful advice, Aaron. And, and you know, having, having experienced or having close people that have died myself or have taken their own lives, um, I often will say, I don't care how much the hospital costs. Take them there now. Take them there right now because saving their life is far more important than the cost of what it might take to get them the help that they need. Do whatever you have to to get them help because this is preventable, but you do have to take action. So super wise instruction um, and just get help. You can't overdo it, right? Because the hospitals will assess. The hospitals will, and not that they're not, they're not that they're always right, but they have resources. Um, there are resources out there and you have to do something 
as opposed to, and, and recognize the signs. So the awareness is huge is to recognize there are things that people say that give you clues they're not doing well and they are thinking about it. And so learning to recognize those things is important. Um, yeah, and most counties have a list of trainings that you can get, right? Like a QPR training would be incredible. If you're going to get deeper and get a, an assist training, which actually goes through practicing um, responses and how do you communicate with someone that is actively suicidal and how do you de-escalate a situation like that safely and help you feel more comfortable in those in those circumstances. So if you're like me, that preparation really helps you feel a lot more confident going into those circumstances. Um, and especially if you're dealing with someone that you love in those active circumstances, any training or any insight that you can gain into both what we've what we've learned as a community, a society of what they're going through scientifically, medically, um, but also emotionally, and how do you empathize with that what they're going through, so that you can communicate the right way, and that's what it always comes back down to, right? How do we communicate our love and our insistency that their life is worth more? alive than if they were to die, right? And, and that's the thing that's most misaligned in their thought process is I'm better off dead. My family will be better without me, right? And, and that's where their brain is misfiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely misfiring. And I love that you bring up the idea that talking to them about their plans and their thoughts of suicide is not going to um, cause them to commit or take their own life. It's just, it's not. We, we are afraid of that. A, a lot of people are afraid of that. I know before I had education around, you know, suicide prevention and understanding it better, I would go, I can't talk about this because then they'll go and act on it. And that is a myth. That's not true. So I love that you bring that up. Thank you for bringing that up. And, um, and Aaron, thank you for being so passionate about something that is life changing and that really does make a difference and that affects I think it affects everybody. I don't know if too many people have not been touched by, you know, someone taking their own life at some point in time, um, particularly people close to them. So I sure appreciate um, what you're doing and the efforts you're making. I love to hear you say, I quit my job so that I could figure out how to do this better. And, and the jobs that you're taking are absolutely focused on learning how to make a difference in this field that you're passionate about. So I love that. It's huge. And I honor you for doing that. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure, and ultimately, it's just one of those things that the, I can't let go of. So, if anyone's going to be joining this crusade with me, uh, more the merrier, because you know our reach has to get to that next person to prevent it. Right? It's one person at a time, and and on, only one of me can only reach so far. So, the more of us, the better. What's your ideal, you know, suicide sucks future? Um. So. Ideally, I actually have a um, pretty strong vision in terms of how do I take those data inputs and understand, um, basically do some descriptive and predictive analytics based off of if I could get current death records and actually figure out what are some of those inputs that have led to suicide in 100% confirmation, right? Um, and then actually teaching algorithm correctly how to identify suicide. My ideal future would be to go start up a technology firm that then enables organizations and employers to then have some insight and indication, maybe not into individual um, cases or you know knowing someone's personal identity and their their struggles, but to have more insight into the total mental health of their organization. Right? As a business leader, 
I would 100% want to know if 30 percent of my organization is severe depression to suicidal, right? Um, if, if there's any way to get, you know, um, both insurance companies involved and employers involved and get more power to the parents and family members of those that are struggling um, through technology, I don't know exactly what that looks like, um, but I would, I would love to go down that path and, be, and start a technology company that creates a tool that's both protective of privacy and individual rights and empathetic to people that are struggling and, and empathetic to people that don't want other people to know that they're struggling, but still be able to provide some level of additional support and, and, and even escalated support when those emergency crises were, were coming up. Yeah, the technology you talked about at the crisis level is fascinating. The power of change that that could potentially have on the same wavelength. You know, if you can keep people from getting to crisis level, that would be a that would be a bigger win. How do we just enable all people to have the to the either emotional or mental tools to help know that they're a little off, right? How do you, how do you create and maintain connection before you get to the point where you're at crisis? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's obviously, amazing. That's, that's amazing. That's the question, right? Um, how do we get proactive about this? How do we not have crisis? Um, and I think that comes back down to how do we support and build up families where parents are involved and are supporting their kids and, and where siblings are enabled and empowered to, to ask questions of their siblings that, you know, that would dig into their to their deepest parts of them and actually pull it out and say, you know, my brother mentioned to me in these emails, I got stuck and I've done things that I feel are unforgivable. And, and, you know, I wish I could reach through the screen through time and, and, and strangle them then, right? Like nothing is insurpassable and nothing is insurmountable when you have family and you have a support system, right? I mean, and if that family support system isn't internal, but it's external, so a friend, a coworker, a boss, doesn't really matter, but we have to have someone in our corner when we go through a trial or experience that we can't get through, that we can rely on and, and expect that our reputation and our future still has hope. And I think that's the hard part. Suicide is, is a result, and like you mentioned before, it's a symptom of hopelessness. And whatever that is that breaks people's hope of a brighter future than today, their hope of a less painful tomorrow than they have today, whenever that hope is fully broken, that's when we lose people. And so it really comes a matter of how do we get proactive? Well, what are the things that build hope in a brighter tomorrow than we have today? And like we've mentioned, that that honestly comes back to our, our connection, our relationships, but also our education, both into our own health and our mental stability as well as resources, tools, activities to do. Um, we just need to get more invested in, in taking care of each other. Well, you're on an amazing path. Thanks for taking time for us today. Hopefully, you know, some of these conversations can spark positivity for individuals, right? Maybe some empathy from family members. Um, you know, I think, I think you're probably not that far away from getting the kind of support that you need for the program, right? To where, you know, you can really take these skills and this passion and dive into it full time. And I'm optimistic about the journey, right? I'm sorry to hear about your loss. It's tragic. And 
at this point, all it can do is become a, a message of hope for other people. Right. Like you're saying, like, let's take, let's take that and who your brother was and make changes in people's lives who still have hope. Cause like you said, there is, there's always forgiveness, right? There's nothing that's unforgivable. There's always a life after or whatever, whatever an individual might think is insurmountable at this point. There's always something, right? There's always a future. So yeah. kudos, kudos to you and everything that you're doing. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for letting me on today. I, I, I'm pretty embarrassed at the, at like the quality of the website and, and the resources. You know, I don't, I wish I have done a better job of that, but I, I, at one point I put 10, 15 videos of people's stories and just scroll through them on, on the website, but it would take 10 seconds to load and people bounced off so fast. I was getting two or three visits a day and I thought this is, this is not going to work. So I took them all off and anyway, I just, I haven't had um, that resource to just like get a good website with quality. And so the less attention to that, the better. <laughs> is that, is that time, you know, on your behalf and getting those things right? Or is it money? What's the resource that's short? Um, mostly time and most, uh, and if I were to pay for it to have to be done, I, I the, the, what started this whole conversation, the audiences, that's really been a hard thing for me because I built Suicide Sucks with the brand and the imagery to go after like teenage rocks, rock rockers, like my brother was, you know, and he would resonate with this like edgy looking brand that would, that stuck out. Right. Um, and there's a lot of guys that wear the shirt because they love the design. Right. And, and it just, it fits that audience, but everything that I'm doing, preventing technology, this whole roadmap of what stages need to be accomplished in order for us all to be more successfully preventing it's not really that brand so i've basically i've needed to split the brand and create a new version of this is my prevention stuff and this is my i'm gonna we're gonna build a community around rockers <laughs> yeah yeah you kind of need the the professional level that's the holding tank right and then kind of audience intuitive brands like you're talking about right yeah yeah I ended up buying like eliminatesuicide.org at one point and uh, yeah, I thought about doing a whole site for that, but yeah, so it's just been time and money, it's been both at this point. Yeah. Well, you know, my hope would be that somebody hears it and they think, this doesn't sound expensive, you know? I think some of those things can be bridged pretty easily by, you know, a donor where it's when you're trying to pay your bills with your regular job and do this on the side, it's, you know, a lot more challenging because that's... Yeah. I've. We, we own a bunch of different websites that don't generate income and those those fees add up, right? The registry yeah. fees and the monthly fees and hosting and all that kind of stuff, it just adds up over time. So yeah. to, me, to me, it feels like a little could go a long way, you know, in helping you with that. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can help create some content to get that out there. So yeah, that'd be great. Ultimately, those, those donations definitely help, you know, empower I love I love going into like someone's story and like investing a good amount of money and quality into the video content because when you do a good video and it goes and it visits a hundred thousand people like my my stepdad's firefighter story hit a hundred thousand firefighters in seven days right and I just was appalled at the comments thank you for staring this Captain Stevens you know like this is so helpful. My, and the wives, thank you for sharing this. I'm showing this to my husband, you know, I'm like, 
there's just so much there with that audience that, you know, just convinced me this is, this is what we have to do. We have to micro group it, niche it down, and we have to get good quality stories for each person that's struggling. So it would be really cool just to create this whole, you know, like a TikTok for that, you know? While you were just talking about that, it made me think of like, uh, you know, the funny or die website yeah. where it's, you've got these professionals who are creating content, but the real intent of the site is we want like everybody just putting their content on here, right? Like amateurs are putting skits on there. Improv yeah. studios are putting their stuff on there. I wonder if it'd be interesting to, to explore creating a site like that, where you're saying, okay, let's put, let's do some of, let's create some of these stories, right? Let's create some of these motivational stories on our own platform. But the intent of the platform is to say, put your own story on here, right? Like everybody deals with a different issue. You know, what's your issue? What do you, what do you use to overcome it? Right. And, and we all know people who have overcome it love to share that story, right? If you found a tool that works for you, you know, people are often not very shy about that. And if you, if, especially if you were able to put on tools like kind of VidAngel has, where you were able to say, Hey, it's a place to host. It's a place to connect. It's a place to talk about your stories and that kind of thing. But there's also some really cool tools on here where like, Hey, if you get on, we actually have an editor where you can upload, you know, a quick little video of yourself and we'll, you know, the, the tools to edit it like a, uh, yeah. Canva or, uh, you know, those types of tools yeah. that I think are getting a lot cheaper and easier to get to. That yeah. could be, that could be a pretty cool community. Yeah. That'd be sweet. At that point, I mean, to build all that, is pretty just capital intensive up front, right? So I've kind of gone down that journey. And ultimately the, when you start saying, you know, submit your own content, like a user generated platform. Now you're talking about so much, right? You're talking about spam. First of all, I can't, I put, I put one time I put like a submit your video or your content and my inbox filled with like hundreds of emails every day from people just submitting like lines of code, just spamming me. And I was like, what is this? Like, you can't trust anything out there because so much of the internet is just automated bots filtering websites and hitting, hitting websites. And anyway, so that's annoying, but you can build around that. And then the other part is there's some liability there, right? And there's some actual level of both privacy as well as like when you're talking about asking for someone's story, there's some risk of saying I'm the company promoting someone's gruesome graphic, you know, you, just, you have to have some quality built into that to make sure that it stays positive, first of all, and then also safe, you know? Yeah. It's pretty intensive, but it's pretty intensive. And I think when you're looking at that as like, okay, Aaron in his living room trying to figure out this, you know, how, how do right. I eat the elephant? Uh -huh. it's, it's, it's too overwhelming. It's too overwhelming. Right. But I think, I think your story and your ability could be pretty valuable to the right group, right? Because I think I think there are those groups where you say, you know, you take a pretty decent sized software company, you take a, a social media company or somebody and say, if you could make that connection and have them say, okay, here's a guy who's passionate about this. We have all of the tools for this already, right? right. We, just, yeah. we just really need to deploy it and it wouldn't take that much, right? Yeah. You know, to me, I think it feels like there's a tipping point a little bit there. And so that would, that's the part that I think to me is interesting of like, okay, I don't know that 
you know, what you're doing now ever turns into this behemoth, but it's really easy for me to see somebody seeing what you're doing and being like, okay, this is the guy we've been looking for, right? This is, we, we, we want to do good. This is an area where we want to spend our money and, and use our technology and, we need the right body to kind of spend the time running that ship. To me, I, that feels like a, a, a tipping point. I've been looking for that group for a few years, so if you yeah. <laughs> let me know. Well, it's it's exposure, right? It's just yeah. exposure. Yeah, it's it's exposure, network, right? Yeah. And, and there's and there's how many unicorns in Utah right now, right? Yeah. I mean, what you what you're talking about is a drop in the bucket for the right group. Yeah. Right. I think it's um. All right, I think um, for as much as you put into someone like this, um, you, you take a lot of hits, you know, because mm -hmm. um, everyone's story is personal. You know, it's personal to them, but then it becomes personal for me. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to maintain the energy and the, you know, the fuel to go be the sales guy and, and network, you know, and do all that when... I, uh, I have so much focus on the problem and the solution, you know, so it's hard for me to do all those things. And I've just been like, you know, how do I, anyway, maybe this is going to be one of those catalysts, you know, jumping points where we can make some introductions, but ultimately it's, it's one of those things that will not ever leave my agenda, right? It's going to be on my life's mission forever. It's just a matter of how long it takes to find the right group and the right, you know, pieces to put, to put together to apply all this energy to. So, anyway, yeah. it. you need a benefactor. Yep, I think so. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of grant money out there for this particular thing, and you could join with someone like UVU who has they have money put aside just for suicide prevention and. Uh, there's other organizations that do that as well. And if you could, you know, collaborate, even with Google, right? Google's huge. Um, but you've got a vision. Maybe they're the right benefactors for you. I don't know. But but there's some there's there's lots out there. So let's we'll I'll keep thinking about that. Again, if I was the schools is a smart idea. It's a good idea. Okay, yeah. well keep us posted. We'll keep our eye on you. Let me, let us know if, if you need anything. We'll do. Okay. Thanks, Ron. Well, thanks, Aaron.